From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 142. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Hello, 142. Reminds me of uh, Fairbanks Bus 142, the, uh, the Chris McCandless bus from Into the Wild. That means absolutely nothing on on every level. Every sentence you just come out with there means nothing to me. <laughs> Johnny, you know what I'm talking about? It's a very no. American, very I American agree. thing. It's a book I about agree. this book and a movie about this dude, um, young guy who like reads a bunch of Thoreau and decides to leave society into nature, and he goes to Alaska and then dies. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's anyway. <laughs> back back to nature disaster porn. Yeah, it, it, I must admit, when I saw 142 and I thought that that sounds like it could mean something, and I and I couldn't think of anything, and uh, and it still doesn't even after what Perry's just said. So, um, <laughs> so, so there we go. Um, so then um, we've got a podcast, and the first thing I actually want to do is just to mention that the camera grams competition is still open. Um, I don't think we've actually had any entries for well, I don't know for for weeks. Um, and at some point we will we'll decide when it's going to be when we actually work out how we're actually going to judge it. So um, let's just say time is running out on that one now to get your your cameragrams in. Um, and if you're wondering what is a cameragram, um, that was Animal Mysteries. Uh, I was going to say idea, but it is Animal Mysteries' fault uh, for coming up that that is an idea for a competition for is to give away what it. Well, actually, it's about the only way if you want a brand new copy of his photo book um city by the sea it's the only way you can get one there and that's to enter uh cameragram so that's a it's a it's really really good photo book so it's a, it's a good competition prize um so the idea is that uh, if you can uh come up with a, a rearrangement of the letters of a um a camera or a lens so uh, whether it be Carl Zeiss or uh, Hasselblad something yeah but something that is, is linked together um, jumble up the words and come up with something interesting and witty um, so uh, time is running out on that one so having done that let's head over to the Hong Kong scene and Perry G all right so the first thing I want to do is apologize and repent for the massive stream of bullshit that came out of my mouth last time um, about rear element cleaning marks and why they become visible uh, at, at smaller apertures. I said a bunch of crap about depth of field and, you know, stupid stuff like that. And it was, what, 5 a.m. Hong Kong time? A couple hours later, I woke up and realized that doesn't make any sense. Because if you think about a macro lens at f22... The depth of field is still tiny, but you still see the sensor dust. There's absolutely nothing to do with depth of field. It's because, uh, having Googled this, when the, aperture, when the aperture is smaller, the light is coming in at a you know more straight lines. It's not sort of as spread out as a wide aperture. And so those little bits of debris on your sensor cast a harder shadow uh, onto the image, much like any scratches or things on the rear element. That is why not because of all the crap I was saying. So thank you to everyone for not calling me out on that. Um, but uh, just erase all of that discussion from your memory because it was just pure crap. 
Um, and, you know, shame on YouTube for saying nothing about that stream of nonsense. Hey, ne- ne- <laughs> never deny a man enough rope to hang himself. Exactly. Touche. Touche. <laughs> Especially if it's entertaining for the for everyone watching. Was it though? <laughs> yeah, they I mean apparently it was. According to Simon, people are actually listening to this crap. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, our, our our popularity is um seems to be skyrocketing at the moment and uh uh, if anybody listened to last week's show, is the first episode. Well, actually, two weeks ago now is is the first episode. I, well, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say because the the whole episode was uh, the three of us getting confused and getting things wrong all the way through. Although uh, I've got to say, Perry was the only one that got things so wrong. Uh, it needed an apology for this week's show. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or uh, either the popularity is going up, or the, the the masochists are coming out of the closet. But hey. Um, I, All right, by, so, by yeah. the way, I stand behind Focus Bubble 100%. <laughs> Wide angle Focus Bubble, 100%. I, I think you were right about the Broussard's bubble, to be fair. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> without treading over that stuff again. So, so apology aside, uh, I hope you accept that. I think all of us have had um, a little bit of gas. Uh, my non-buying streak uh, since I got my black paint MP in October. Um, ran for a good five, six months, uh, but it is now over. Uh, it's officially over. And I have acquired a lens for the first the first lens of the year. Um, it's one that I wanted for a while, and I have it here mounted on my Nikon S2, a, uh, an uncoated pre-war uh, Carl Zeiss Jena Biogon 35 millimeter f 2.8, um, and you know, y'all know I love the Biogon, um, but I never had an uncoated one, and now I do, and it's here, and it's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I've only shot it. I've only shot it on my Sony so far, uh, and it's you know, it has the edge smearing that you would expect from a wide angle lens with a rear element that sticks that far back. So I, I've yet to shoot it on film, which I will do on this Nikon as soon as. Uh, as soon as I finish the roll in my Nikka. But um, on on digital, it's beautiful. It, it, it's exactly what I wanted. It's a Biogon rendering without the effect of the coating. So a little glowy uh, in the highlights, which is gorgeous. The tones are wonderful. And um, especially in color, you know, especially in color, it has that uncoated, slightly muted palette that I think looks a little bit more cinematic and I'm totally digging these days. So... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and predict that you like that lens better on digital and on film. I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I'm actually not really looking forward to shooting this on black and white film because <laughs> I, I I realize that a lot of these lenses that I'm liking for this uncoated look, uh, yeah. I either like them on digital or right. I like them on only two films: uh, Cinestill 800T and Portra 400. Yeah, they they look kind of mushy on anything else. Right, and that, that's that's my theory on a lot of the uncoded stuff. Is it just looks really mushy on film? Yeah, but that is, is that necessarily because it's on film or because you're shooting color film? It, well, well, I mean, so, yeah. Go on. I, I was going to say color is a whole different story, but I mean, color film is mushy, but the mushy of the inherent flare and softness is something else you know what i mean 
I think to get the most out of this look um, that I really, really like of these uncoated lenses, you need to shoot very specific things. And I think it works best uh, in either mixed lighting. So the kind of nighttime stuff that I've been shooting, you know, pre-pandemic with Cinestill, where I was complaining that like the Zeiss CY lenses are way too contrasty. Um, these kinds of lenses, I think, in my opinion, look a lot better uh, and work a lot nicer with that sort of cinematic, um, cinematic, cinematic rendering on mixed lighting scenes. Uh, and I think they also work well in scenes with really warm lighting palettes. But for general shooting, I don't think they're the best. You know, like the light sumerit uh, for general shooting is just mush. Um, but if you if you use it in situations where it's, you know, low contrast glowiness shines, like exactly those situations I described, you know, warm lighting or close-up portraits, um, especially warm, cool mixed lighting, it, it's, it looks so much better than, it, in my opinion, it looks, it looks so much nicer than those, um, you know, more contrasty, sharper, modern looking lenses. But do you, yeah. are you, are you going to try and shoot some black and white with it though instead? I think so. I, I think, you know, um, well, I shot the collapsible, uh, 5CM F2 sonar, uh, the uncoated one that I have. I shot that on some black and white film and I don't think I had a filter on. It was, yeah, there was no yellow filter on and the tones were really, really nice. Yeah. Um, contrast was pretty low. The kind of smoothness of the tone curve and the grays was, was beautiful. I don't remember which film I used. I think it was either RPX 400 or yeah, probably RPX 400. Uh, so, so, I mean, I dig that. So I'm going to try this on black and white film, but I think it, it just, with this kind of lens, you got to be a bit more careful about the kind of scene you're shooting. Because if it's a generic-looking street scene, then honestly, the rendering of the lens is not that important, right? And so if it's a kind of generic-looking street scene and you catch backlight the wrong way, it's just like the whole thing turns into flary mush. Mm. Um, so it takes I a think, little bit more of, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think that whole whole look works well with, with, uh, with, with, a, with a black and white film that's got a lot of tonality in it. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, like, un unleash your inner fan ho uh with it mm -hmm. that's what i can that's what i can see so um yeah give 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 that okay. a go yeah no that, that that makes sense um i mean i i have enjoyed these lenses for black and white and they just they're not quite as punchy and also you know sticking a yellow filter on an uncoated lens um i know it's a different effect than coating but it also kind of seems to defeat the purpose for me i don't know i don't know if that makes sense but it's like the uncoated look is is lower contrast and kind of a little washed out, and you stick a yellow filter on for contrast, and it it doesn't have the same effect as coating, but it it kind of <laughs> it kind of you know can, it cancels out the low contrast effect. A yeah, bit. you're re-separating your tones more than mushing right. them together. Yeah, right, exactly. So if I am going to shoot it on film, I think I'm on black and white film. I think I'm going to shoot it unfiltered for the most part. Um, I mean, it's not the same because, uh, again, a color filter changes the tonal relationships, whereas coating just, you know, reduces reflections and increases overall contrast. But I think visually, it often has the same effect, right, in terms of how you perceive the image. That makes sense. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I haven't shot this thing on film yet, but... Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I've been shooting a lot less film lately. Um, 
I, it's taking me a lot longer to get through a role, and I've just been shooting more digital uh, because I'm lazy and it's fun. I, I've been doing that too. Makes sense. Yeah. Actually, I've been shooting a lot of film, but I have no intention of developing it anytime in the next two or three years. Ah, that's not true. I think I'm going to develop some stuff. I usually just start developing in the spring. So. Right, because you do it in huge batches, right? I do it. In, yeah, I do it in huge batches. So. Yeah. I'm almost there. I'm going to ponder on it till about July, and then I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I I think for me, it's just I'm I'm not really feeling street photography much these days. Um, and so the things I do want to shoot are much more kind of contrived or specific scenes and images. Um, and because of that, I kind of want a digital camera so that I can very precisely mess with things like flare and backlight and like where the light, where the light and shadow is hitting. Yeah. Um, whereas on a rainfinder, on a rangefinder, you can't see that. So, you know, I've been carrying a little Barnack around just for shooting, but I think I've had a roll in here for over a month and I'm on maybe frame 15 and I've used three or four different lenses on that thing already. So when, when that roll comes out and I've developed it, I'm going to have a real hard time remembering which lenses everything was shot with. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's it. Uh, I, one new lens first of the year and um I, I don't think it'll be the last but uh you know exciting yeah. stuff nice. simon you've been uh, you've been dipping into the uh the old <laughs> no gas gas <laughs> gas canister <laughs> stop there <laughs> yes um i've uh, <laughs> that's, that's... That's the dodgiest intro I think we've uh, we've we've had. Um, yeah, so yes, I've been busy. I've been buying. Um, I've I've been doing loads of stuff lately, absolutely loads. I think before I talk about what I've been buying, um, I want to talk about what I've been doing with adapting, um, mm. because I've I've as as people will know, I do a lot with three D printing and I make uh, quite possibly the world's largest range of three D printed lens caps. Um, which are available on my website, which is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, and uh, one of the things that I've avoided doing um, is threads. Um, was three, 3D printing threads is a bit of a tricky old thing. Um, and I wouldn't say I've actually entirely cracked it, um, but I'm not that far off. And uh, so having sort of managed to work out how to do uh, Leica 39 threads and uh, M42 threads reasonably well. Uh, I looked across and I saw uh, a couple of my uh, projection lenses uh, that I've not really done that much with um, other than back in the days when I used to uh, get a focusing helicoid and then pack it with foam um, and so it was more or less tight so it wasn't necessarily straight but it would go in there and there wouldn't be any light leaks and I had some I had some fun with them um, especially my my oldest lens I think that I own uh, an Emile Bush uh, Neo Kino I think it's a, I think it's really old anyway um, and it's uh, I think it's like a, effectively like a 52 millimeter 1.8 1.9 uh, projection lens and uh and, it, and it's a triplet and it gets some really, really nice soft effects, but it's sharp in the center. Um, but I've also got a, uh, a Duquesne uh, three inch F 2.5, uh, which is a, basically a brand new lens that you can still buy today. Um, and so made in Chicago. Exactly. It is. It is made <laughs> in Chicago. Uh, Chicago's finest along with Malort. 
That's right. Uh, you could use it as a shot glass. Actually, the Duquesne would be a perfect shot glass <laughs> for Malort. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah. So it's, it's okay. So well, once once you can actually make an M forty two thread, um, it's not that much of a stretch to just make uh, a uh, an adapter that you can just fit the uh, the barrel of the projection lens into nice and snugly, and then you can sort of mm -hmm. use it potentially to just pull the the adapter sorry the the lens in and out to focus it um plus also you you'd also screw it into an into a focusing helicoid um and our type of uh choices the 17 to 31 millimeter focusing helicoid based off the um pentax uh close focusing adapter Mm -hmm. uh, Yinon do a rip off of that one, and it's pretty much exactly the same. Um, they they the best best two out there. You can also get them like from Pixco and stuff. Where they uh, they they work for a bit and then fall apart, and then you have to work out how to put the things to, together again. Um, but uh, I've just been having like loads of fun actually just adapting these things. So um, I've not gone out into the garden and taken uh, any any more bokeh shots with them, <coughs> which is uh, something I do I do plan to do. But I think that's what they do best. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's just been good fun adapting projection lenses. So nice. Dad, Simon, Dad. no, go ahead, Johnny. Oh, no, I was going to say that Duquesne solution is really nice because I mean, we, I, I think we've both had that lens for a few years now and, you know, I basically did the same thing as I hacked together a holder for it. Yeah. Simon is sliding it in and out of the tube right now, but essentially I built the same sort of holder to wedge it into my, you know, adapter. So that, that is a much cleaner solution as you work it in and out, baby, in and out. <laughs> Y'all are missing it, what he's doing, that dirty old man from, from England. No, I'm, I'm the decent one. I would never do anything rude off the no. <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's super cool. I, I think I'm going to actually have to finally order a Simon Forster adapter product. Simon, have you tried to use any of those uh, projector lenses on medium format film? Uh, not yet. Um, I was I was all set to be doing things with a with a Pentacon six, um, and then I made a huge error uh, with my Pentacon six, my lovely Pentacon six. Um, I I wound it on. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so um so yeah uh, my pentacon 6 doesn't work anymore now um mm. but i do have a kiev 6c um <clears throat> so uh which is yeah it's 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 certainly more agricultural than the pentacon 6 but you do get the feeling like it yes it's noisy it's clanky or whatever but it actually works so i'm gonna i'll i'll see if i can do something with that um but yeah, I, I do. I do want to adapt all wonderful things to that. Because I mean, I've got a a, a body cap design for it. Um, so it's a case of once you once you've got a, a a body cap design, then you can adapt just about anything to it as long as it'll actually fit. Um, mm -hmm. The other the other issues they may have is when you actually, uh, if if it's a, a shorter focal length, then 
the back of the lens is going to uh, protrude into the body of the camera um, to the point where it's 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 got a reasonable chance of hitting the mirror. Um, so, sort of, yes, you can potentially get the mirror up or something like that, but that defeats the object of using an SLR. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely doable. And, and again, with and things like projection lenses as well, not projection lenses, um, and larger lenses. I mean, I've got a, uh, I've not done anything with this. I, I I bought it because it was cool and it was cheap. But it's a, a boa 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 boa, um, and it's a, it's a French um, enlarging lens. Uh, mm -hmm. it's even from Paris. So there you go. Um, oh, is it like one of the Boyer like sapphires or something? That's exactly what it is. A sapphire. Yeah. Oh, those, those are, those are sick. Oh, okay. So, uh, have I done well with this? Then? Because I didn't pay much for it. I don't know, I don't know anything about it. I just, it just, just looked good. It's, What's uh, the focal length and, and, uh, aperture on that? Uh, 154.8. So, uh, I think it's an enlarger lens. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Those are sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's an enlarged lens, and um, so yeah, so that that will definitely mount onto it without any problems at all. But it's probably, um, I'm pretty sure that'll cover four by five. Um, you would think so with that that kind of focal length. Um, mm -hmm. But the but the other thing that I've adapted this week is uh, if I can find it is a flectagon, but not any flectagon. Uh, <laughs> I like. I have no idea where it's gone. Not that it really matters that I can't actually see this flexible. Um but it's for a. Uh, <laughs> it's I think for it's a, in your speed graphic. Yeah. Well, this. Well, I've, I've I've tried it on my miniature speed graphic. That didn't go too well. Um, but it's a, a flexigon, a thirty-five millimeter two point eight flexigon, but for Vera or Wera. Um, and um, and that that was a bit of a surprise to me because one I just had this Flectagon lens lying around for absolutely ages waiting for a, the the correct uh, Vera camera to come along so I could try it, um, which still hasn't happened. And um, I thought to myself, oh okay, there's a there's a lens that needs a lens cap, and uh, so I I designed a lens cap, and uh, and that's very nice, very functional, and I'll be putting it on sale soon, and then. Um, <laughs> Perry, by the way, Perry is now being replaced by his cat. Um, <laughs> um, and um, so, so I made the lens cap, and then once again, once you make yourself a lens cap, you and you've also got a design for something like um, M forty two or a, or E mount, you can make a make an adapter. So I made an adapter for uh, this Vera uh, lens, and I adapted it to uh, via M forty two onto my Sony, and. Uh, earlier on this week I was I actually managed to use it as a webcam which was which was quite cool um, but the actual lens itself um, when I adapted it because I was thinking that this is going to have like a very short um, flange focal distance and it just did not not at all um, it, I mean the flange focal distance is longer than uh, Leica R which is like one of the longest uh, 35 millimeter flange focal distance of distances that there is so the yeah the lens adapter i was thinking it was going to be something that was virtually going to sit inside the, the body cap um and it, it, it did not do that at all it, it stuck out a mile and so yeah the the, the sorry the, sorry to interrupt but the camera that's off is a is a range finder right yeah but optically it's the same as the like normal slr flectagon well, exactly. That's that's it. that's exactly it. Yet it's got a very long flange focal distance, and the 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 
the main point about this as well, a couple of points is one, you could actually use you could actually adapt this probably to a to a to a Nikon F mount camera. It can it can be done. Um that was that was interesting in itself because there aren't that many lenses that you could do that to. Um but, but the reason why you could adapt this lens and you couldn't adapt say an M forty two uh Flettigon to to it is because it's just simply the position of where the, the mount is upon the lens. It's not because of the optics are in some way different uh, from from uh, from the, the SLR versions. It's just that the actual position of the flange is different. So it actually sits closer to the front of the lens. Or is it, oh, sorry, no, close to the rear of the lens. Which way is it going? I'm getting some... No, no so, so, so the lens juts out beyond the mount, like way more than it would. Because on the SLR version, there's more like lens housing in the way, right? Yeah. So you can't mount, you couldn't mount it as far back as you could with this... Uh, like rangefinder version. Actually, right. the uh, I think the actual the mount the actual mount is closer to the front of the lens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the yeah. rear element goes further back into the camera. Correct. Correct. Um, beyond where where the mount is. Yeah. So like on the rangefinder, it sticks way 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 out. Yeah. Um, but effectively, it lets you mount the lens deeper inside. Yes. Um, which so so that makes adaptation, I guess, easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, but when you think about it, yeah, being a, a rangefinder lens, you were just expected to be a short flange distance. But no, it was just, but it's just the way that the actual construction of the barrel of the lens works. And the reason for that, of course, is because the the Vera is, has that winding system uh, between the body of the camera and the and the main part of the lens, which is how you wind wind the camera on. Oh, is, is that what that big black thing is? Uh, yes. You know what, when you said black, no, it's olive green. Well, actually, no, most of them are black, <laughs> not olive green. Oh, I, I thought I thought that was just part of the lens. Um, but it makes sense because the lens ends like halfway and the glass just sticks out. Oh, so you, you, you advanced the film with that? Are you looking at a picture of a Vera or are you looking at my adapter? I'm looking at a picture of a Vera. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. That's how you wind, you wind your film on. But if you look at it, there's no there's no advanced Oh, yeah, lever. there's no winder. Yeah. Oh. It's a really cool way of doing it. Whether it's a good way of doing it, it's another matter. Um, no, but it, well, but you, what, like, what, what kind of weird Rube Goldberg contraption is that? Because on a, nor on a normal winder, like, it winds in the direction that the film moves, but this is at a right angle to it, so there must be some like, extra cogs inside that you know, trigger the, like, it, the, the frontal rotation to turn into a horizontal rotation, right? Yes. That's weird. That's, that's unnecessarily complex. I'm just thinking that uh, I'm, just, I'm just thinking the the logic behind it because they did have access to rangefinder lenses, didn't they? So, I mean, if they didn't have access to rangefinder lenses and they're thinking, well, how can we make a rangefinder style camera with our SLR lenses? Well, we can do it like this, and then you may as well fill that gap with some kind of re really strange winding system, which is ultimately what they did. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. Although, I mean. I don't know what the inside of those cameras looks like, but it just seems simpler to me to have the advanced lever attached to the actual, you know, film spool. But they just got such a huge distance between the body and, uh, yeah. and effectively an SLR lens. So I think, well, we better do something with this. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you just make a retina. Otherwise, it would just be a retina. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah. So, that. so that's that's... <laughs> That's my uh, adapt adaptations. And then 
we come on to what happened yesterday, and I'm just going to leave. Wait, wait, be, 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 before you get onto that, on 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 these adaptations, the whole um, projector lens onto a uh, the whole projector lens onto medium format thing. There's this entire like bizarre market that um, where people like take Schneider Cinelux projector lenses and turn them into like Pentax six seven conversions and charge crazy money for them. And I'm inclined to think that you can get pretty much similar results with a much cheaper projection lens uh, and a contraption like the one you've made there. Unless there's something fundamentally magical about this, the Cinelux lenses, like the cinema projector lenses, um, I, I don't see why in practice you just couldn't do the same thing for much, you know, in a much more economical way. Mm. I take it those, those Although- lenses don't have an aperture either then. No, no, no. They're they're like the projectors, the the, the lenses that they use in uh, cinema projectors. Um, so th- they're gold in color, and the results are very nice. But I don't know if they're fundamentally that different from a normal projector lens because you're still mm-hmm. just projecting the film onto a big blank thing. Well, they got they got Snyder written on them, so yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean they they might be better correct. I assume they're going to be much better corrected. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, but. That said, though, the, the, a really well-corrected projection lens to the point where it's actually really good, well, you may as well just stick a normal lens on then, haven't you? I mean, isn't the point of doing the, what we do to have lenses with flaws and character and odd things happening? Which is So I think I'd, I'd far prefer to have something wacky going onto, the, onto my camera than something that is actually pretty straight. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. There you go. Um, so, on to uh, my gas relief. Uh, 30, 30 years of pent-up gas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, and it's not as if like I couldn't have bought one of these things in the last 30 years. I could have done that. But it's a case of um, it's, it's, it's all about buying things at the right price as well. And, yeah, when you it's quite often when you actually go out looking for for whatever lens you actually want to find specifically um it's quite difficult to actually find that lens at the right price um lenses at the right price arrive when they're ready to arrive rather than when you want them to arrive unless you're just really really lucky and and that's all that's that's been my philosophy on on buying lenses especially the, the more expensive end um i've always waited for for something to come in at, at, at a really really good price and that opportunity availed itself uh this week um and and it's it's i I did something i don't normally do um and that's i was keeping an eye on a on a physical auction and i i'm not a fan of buying things at a physical auction that you can't actually go and see for yourself um and and I don't know what's going on in the auction world at the moment, um, but prices at auctions are, are sometimes exceeding the prices that uh, people are paying on, on eBay um, for, a, for a lot of things. And as much as people malign eBay, uh, so you don't know what you're going to get and it's going to turn up and it's not going to be as you described and so on, at least you've actually got some comeback. 
you know, it, mm-hmm. you know, you've got distance selling protection depending on what, what how your, your your country's laws are set up or or eBay set up in your in your country, and you simply don't have that with a with a physical auction. Um, the only thing that you've got is, is is the item described in the way it, you know is it accurately described? It's as simple as that. And accurate ultimately means you know what is actually written on the paper. Does that reflect what you get? And therefore, if something is not said then it's not said. So it can't be described as inaccurate if, if you just don't mention the fact that something's broken. You know, you might know it, but they don't, if you don't say it, then that's it. It's, it's, it's not mis, mis, uh, missold. Um, so I, I saw uh, a, a, an advert, uh, not an advert, a, a listing. Uh, it's an auction and it had a, a contacts. It was actually listed as a contacts 139. And that always grabs my attention. Anything to do with contacts always... Uh, um, always piques my interest and so I looked at the photograph and I immediately saw a contact 159 with an instruction booklet for a 139 um, so they're thinking oh, oh that's good that's good I like the 159 my my first ever camera that I bought with my own money uh, was a contacts 159 um, and I've been a contacts and Zeiss fanboy ever since um, and um, so so that, that 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 was good, and and then I saw in this photograph there was a and it was mentioned as a with a Carl Zeiss lens, and I get okay. So what's the Carl Zeiss lens? And I, I go hunting around the page and I find it, and and I can see uh, a contacts lens. It's got a contacts cap on it, and the the cap is largely on the camera, uh, covering the nameplate, and you couldn't actually see what the aperture. Of, uh, of the lens was but what you could make out is that it wasn't that long and it was chubby you know and that me that's what she said (laughs) um and a a, something that hasn't got that much uh, uh, length but plenty of girth um in the in the in the zeiss world means that's an expensive lens um, it doesn't really matter what it is. And it, I, I looked at it and I was thinking, mm, I think that's an 85 1.4. Uh, but it could have been 100 F2. It could have been some kind of macro. It could have been a uh, a Distagon 1.4 or F2 or something like that. But all of those lenses have got one thing in common. None of them are cheap. They're, they are expensive lenses, every single one of those. So I knew that this lens was an expensive lens. And, uh, and it was with a 159 and the auction house wasn't too far away from me. So, uh, so I decided to keep my eye on this auction and, uh, and then it was, it was actually going back to last Saturday and I, I, I won, uh, the auction. I paid up to 190 pounds on the hammer price uh, for an Ooh, auction. Lot. Yeah. Well, for an auction, not lot that I didn't actually know exactly what I was buying and I did yeah. not know what the condition of that was. Um, so it was, a, it's probably the biggest punt I've actually ever taken on, 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 uh, on any kind of purchase to do with cameras. Um, because I'm, I'm generally pretty, um, <clears throat> I'm pretty conservative with the way that I actually go and, uh, buy things, especially if it's sight unseen. So, uh, I felt a little bit nervous about this purchase. Um, so, um, and rightly so. So anyway, so. Um, I bought some other things at that auction as well because once you've actually bought the big thing that you're after well you may as well have a look and see what the small stuff was and there's quite a lot of camera gear that went with that and I've, I've bought loads of Pentax bodies and things which are almost certainly going to need uh, new light trapping and all that kind of stuff 
but again, prices were okay. But one, one thing I was noticing was just the way the things were actually described. And this was sort of setting alarm bells off for me because sometimes it was saying that things needed to be um, stripped down and cleaned. And then sometimes it would say that uh, something had haze or it had fungus. So, so the person, whoever was doing these descriptions, you know, the fact that they actually use the word haze means they know what haze is, which is more than most auctioneers do. Um, so they obviously know something about cameras um, and so the, sometimes when you when you see something that's described uh, well and then something's not described at all you think well why haven't they really described that and uh, so that that put a bit of doubt in my mind this is after the effect as well after after the, this happened and also <clears throat> um, I was most of these purchases that I was actually buying were coming on the way back of uh, um, taking my wife for her covid jab so this is in the car on my phone um which is like the worst possible place to be actually buying anything at an online auction uh, <laughs> and uh so and i hadn't done my homework beforehand as well which is also bad and uh and I, i'm going to jump jump ahead slightly actually and and because i i, I looked at something for the first time uh, today um, because I bought a Pentax 35AF uh, compact camera in a in its own box and everything, I was thinking, now that's that's a good buy that is, um, and uh, and I got it out of the box and it had, it virtually had no back on it, <laughs> and it looked like it had been in salt water. The front of the camera was beautiful, <laughs> but um, and that was that was the bit that I saw that was the bit that I saw on uh, on my phone um, heading heading back from uh, from the COVID jab, so. Um, <clears throat> So that's uh, not not so good, um, but anyway, let's let's go go back to the story and uh, and this 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 lens and uh, whatever. So yesterday, I went to collect uh, my winnings, and um, and obviously the very first thing I wanted to take a look at was uh, was the lot with the one five nine and this mystery lens, <clears throat> and the the one five nine was the first thing I that that, that came to me, and. And it looked beautiful from the front, and it was absolutely disgusting from the back. Um, so again, the the uh, the auction house had not really been particularly honest, and uh, they had photographed the nice part of the camera and not actually shown the back of it. Uh, plus, it also didn't fire as well. But that that may be something we can get get fixed. And then, so I'm there thinking, oh dear, this is this is this could be a bad day. And uh, and then I I get the I get the the lens immediately i can see it's an 85 1.4 planar um so i'm happy i'm already happy now i'm thinking how bad can it be and then i, I popped the uh the, the lens cap off and the first thing i saw was this enormous horizontal crack across the front of the uh the lens and i think oh, that is not not what i wanted to see and i wonder if wonder why they didn't show a picture of the front of the lens in the uh in the advert um they showed plenty of other cameras and lenses but they just didn't happen to show that one and i was thinking yeah i think i know why um so so that that's that's the the, the not so good and i thought hold on hold on calm down just take a close look at it now because it's got a filter on the front and and i could see that it the it had obviously been been dropped. It landed on its filter, taking a clack a, a, a clout, and it cracked the glass of the filter. And looking through the filter, I could see that the you know there was no apparent damage. I could see through the filter. Couldn't actually take the filter off, 
and more about that later. Um, but as I was trying to unscrew the filter, I was actually ended up unscrewing front of the, the, the front body of the lens as well, which is not good. Um, but you know, sometimes lenses do that. I just didn't, wouldn't have expected of that particular lens. <clears throat> so anyway, so I load it all up and I think, okay, um, normally I would just go home uh, with my winnings and uh, take a take a good look at it but no this time I needed to drive straight to my camera repairman and uh, and get him to get this uh, get this filter off because I couldn't do it myself uh, easily I knew it was going to require tools and if I did it I'd probably with pliers or something like that which is really you know with a with a high quality lens that's probably not the best way to do things so so I went to take it to somebody that knows what they're doing. So I took a seat to, to John and uh, and handed it over to him. And he looked at it and he goes, oh, that's nasty. And uh, and it, and what he meant by that was that the the impact on the filter thread, it had actually jumped one of the threads. And that's the reason mm. why you couldn't actually un simply unscrew it. <clears throat> so he, he went at it uh, with his... Uh, with his tools and uh, in a in a very very restrained and controlled way as, as professionals would do as opposed to the way that I would do it um, and uh, and he got it off pretty 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 simply and he gave it a wipe down and he goes nice lens this and I was there thinking thank heavens for that you know, wow. right, so I've got a good one and he goes um, <clears throat> there's a bit of dust in there and uh, your aperture blades are a little bit on the slow side it could do with the service and I'm there thinking I'll take that I'll take that all day long and uh, and so, so yeah, so I've finally got myself uh, that 85, 1.5, 1.4, sorry, that I've been promising myself for years and years and years. Um, now then, this is where things start to go back down again. Um, and the fact that uh, anybody that knows um, a fair bit about contacts, Yashica lenses, um, these, and they fall the... Um, for the contacts in particular rather than for the uh, ml lenses for the yashica is that there are uh, two types you've got the ae which are the older types and then you've got the newer type which is mm and if anybody was listening to that epic show where johnny system went off to do the, his shopping and his housework and he was just perry and i just have going going nuts over over contacts um <clears throat> we went into some detail as to what the difference is but ultimately it's a case of a is the older kind and uh, mm is the newer type and in in many cases there's not actually that much of a difference between an mm and a and a an ae other than this the little bit that sticks out that helps you do uh shutter priority and um <coughs> excuse me uh, program mode which we don't care about that anyway uh, but one of the other differences apart from sometimes the optics can be different not always uh, but the shape of the iris um, and the older AE lenses and I don't know if any of the AA and, and any of the MM lenses are affected in this way but um, it's certainly AE lenses when you go from the wide open to the first click uh, in this case f2 from f1.4 <coughs> We end up with ninja blade bokeh balls. Well, well, just ninja blades actually. Then um, just ninja circles. And some people like that. I hate it. I, I just, I just really, really don't, don't like uh, these, 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 this ninja blade style bokeh. So that's, uh, so that was a bit of a downer. Um, but I, I took it into my garden shed or my wife's shed to be more specific, and just took a, took a shot. I mean, been not particularly happy about the the fact that I've got these ninjas. 
and uh, and I, I thought, yeah, this looks good. It felt good to actually look through, and uh, and then when I got it into Lightroom, I took the shot on a uh, on my Sony. Um, I was knocked out by just how much contrast there was there, and also just the the, the depth of the colours and the richness and the painterly bokeh and all all of the things that you know you want to get in in a in a, in a, a fast. Uh, portrait lens were there and present and uh yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing yep uh, the, the the ninja stars i have that lens i have that exact same lens uh aeg 85 1.4 when you show the picture of the auction lot i i think i told you right away like it's definitely in a it's definitely an 85 1.4 because all those other ones the the, the focus ring you can tell by like the shape of the focus ring and how big it is, um, which lens it is, because they're all fairly distinctive. But um, yeah, I mean, the I, I don't think the Ninja Stars are that annoying because it's not like it's not like they're straight up Ninja Stars, right? It's just the corners of the bokeh balls are not quite. They have a little bit of a a hook about them. But you've got to look pretty closely to actually notice the Ninja Star effect. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Sweet lens though. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not happy. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it, optically it does what I want. Um, but those, well, okay. We, we don't, we don't take photographs to, well, we don't anyway, uh, take photographs specifically to have bokeables or ninja stars in them. Um, it's just, it's just one of those things that happens in certain conditions. And if you're in a studio using this in the way that it was intended, perhaps, um, then that just simply doesn't matter. And and the fact that it's a, a 1.4, if you're using it on a film camera, um, it just makes it so much easier to focus um, because you've got a really, really bright uh, screen to work with. So, you know, so you'll be focusing it at 1.4, but you'll probably be shooting at f2, 2.8, 3.6, something like that, and you'll be nailing the mm -hmm. focus every time. Um, that's that's really the whole point of these 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 fast lenses, um, but that then brings me to the to the next point. And we've talked about this before when we've been talking about eighty five millimeter lenses and fast super these super fast lenses, uh, portrait lenses. Um, my favourite portrait lens, not that I'm actually much of a portrait uh, taker, is my Carl Zeiss eighty five millimeter f two point eight contacts lens. And I will be ha I would happily just shoot that wide open all the time, and it's obviously it's wide open, so you, you don't get hexagons or whatever shape that the, the, the aperture is going to make, and you're going to get the head completely in focus, and uh, you know instead of just the eyes or an eyelash or a nose or something like that, um, and it's just it just seems to me like that's the sensible um, aperture for taking a picture of a person. Uh, in, in in general, and when I've used this this lens wide open, it it's got an incredible separation um, at two point eight, and mm -hmm. and I think to myself, yeah, I've got I've got both of these lenses now, and I'm thinking, yeah, which one would I actually be using? I know which one I want to use because it's it's this is one point four and it's sexy and all this kind of stuff, but it's also really heavy as well. I mean, yeah. really, that was one of the things when I put it onto my Sony. I felt that uh, it was it just it just unbalanced the ca uh, unbalanced the camera, and it's massive. Yeah, and the for the first time in about two years, I put my uh, battery grip on 
because it just balanced it balanced the lens far better you know because i could spread my fingers more around around the camera interesting enough i've got <clears throat> i've got my contact rx here and it sits perfectly on my rx there's no mm -hmm. no no problem with it at all it's a, i mean it's a heavy camera um but it's the, the grip is larger um and it's it's you know it's really well shaped as you as you might imagine it's designed for it but yeah, the actual design of the RX, I think, is a beautiful camera. Anyway, very, very ergonomic. Um, so, it, but it just comes down to this point, you know, that I don't know if I'd if I'd use it over the over the two point eight, and and then the final point really is what on earth's wrong with me actually in buying uh, this these 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 portrait lenses, seeing that I don't use them, um, and really, I just I'm just like drawn to them like a like a like a fly to uh, one of those insecticutors. Yeah, because they just look great. They, I, I just think they are the supermodel of lenses. Fast portrait lenses just look spectacular, and I'm just drawn to them. Yeah, man, I I, I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, I, I have that lens, and I've used it maybe twice, <laughs> um, and I love it, but every lens I have between like 85 and 105 millimeters, I never use them, but I have so many of them because... I want to have those fast portrait lenses for precisely that reason. They, they look great, but I mean, it is heavy. You should. I, I, I'd imagine it would be nice on the fat contacts AX that you have. Yeah, yeah, and and of course the <clears throat> where that would also make make sense if you if you were going to be using it with people because it's going to autofocus it as well. Yeah, so mm. yes, you can you can you've you've got the best of both worlds. You can try it one way, or you can just bang it onto autofocus. It's not a fast autofocus, but there are times if you've got a a moving person, um, it's you've got that bit of a surety, haven't you? That uh, you've probably got more of a chance of getting exact focus uh, with autofocus than you will do doing it manually. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, but yeah, so I've got it, um, and. Um, yeah, it's not. It's just not quite the um, the full satisfaction experience that I was hoping for. Yeah, you know that lens. It the rendering also is. I, I've never found it kind of magical. It, it's very very nice, um, but it, it it it's never done that thing that some of the portrait lenses, like the the Nikkor eighty five f two um, sonar, is phenomenal and it has that kind of magical rendering about it uh same with the 105 2.5 but uh the planar same with me it's 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 a lens that i like having more than i like using hmm. yeah and that's uh that also brings me to my, my my final point and there's i think i've scratched my sensor on my a7 mark ii um and that's almost certainly when I was trying to adapt some uh, uh, projection lenses uh, to it. So I could be in the situation where I might be needing a new camera. Um, and, you know, where does that take me? Um, but I think I'm minded to be looking at an A7R2 used. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, not so much because I want the um, the megapixel count, so I don't. Um, but it's it's I've quite I've always wanted that silent shutter, um, and um, and it's, yeah it's got a few other bits and bobs which are which which are just better than it. Um, but it, I think it's that silent shutter. Um, but I don't know. 
What should, what should, what should they do? I think for price, it's really hard to beat another A7 II or A7R II. I mean, I'm perfectly happy with mine, except for the terrible, terrible battery life. And the fact that focusing is impossible um, when your subject is not, not when your subject is moving or when you are moving. Uh, But for everything else, I mean, I've never, I've never felt the need uh, to upgrade that Sony. And when I want to shoot certain things, I'll just use like a Fuji or a, a Leica instead. Would you A seven two versus A seven R two? Any any? What would you? What would your? I mean, you vote, you went for the R two, but did you do that because of any particular reason over the the standard one? Uh, well, the resolution. I mean, I don't really care about the silent shutter, although it is handy um, in some shooting situations. I, I think the big thing for me is. They change the low pass filter or the sensor, the the sensor yeah. filter uh, on the A7R2, and so when you use rangefinder lenses on it, um, you do not get nearly the same degree of like weird edge color aberrations. Right. In fact, the the edge color aberrations on my Sony are far better than on my digital Leica. Right. Uh, okay. The smearing, the smearing is worse. Like the smearing is still there um, due to the thickness of the filter, but there's very little, if not no, um, color weirdness. And so I'm perfectly happy shooting color with rangefinder lenses on the A7R2. Whereas on the A7 II, uh, it just gets it just gets gross, right? You have to do all this stupid stuff to get rid of the uh, the color shifts. So I think that's a huge advantage. Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll keep an eye on. Uh... On what's going on? If any listeners in the UK that want to sell a, an A seven R two to me, um, <laughs> let 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 me know. Um, and um, so yeah, so that's uh, that's that's me. And I think with that, um, we should head over to Chicago and uh, Mister Johnny Sisson. Hey friends, you zoned out of the contacts talk again. No, not at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> AEJ, AEG, did you cover that stuff? Yep. Yeah, yeah we A- did that. AE A- something? Okay. All right, cool. And and Simon's Simon's uh, not entirely happy because it's ninja-ing. Yep. Correct. Okay. All right. So I got I cover, I got everything, more or less, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the cliff notes. All right. Very good. Fair so enough. Now, you're, now, now tell us about your, uh, your gas. Gas? What gas? <laughs> How about we talk about Robbie's gas first? Especially since we know that Mrs. Robbie won't ever hear this. So yeah. we can we can totally go off about Robbie's gas. Yeah, this dude has been showing off some fairly nice stuff. Yeah. Has he not? So... A- yes, and apropos of Simon, who's now at least I stayed at the microphone while you guys were talking about contacts garbage. Simon Forster has left the building, so we're looking at Simon's webcam image, which is just a blur because he's not in the foreground. He's just gone off to kick the dog. Uh, he, he knows he knows rangefinders are coming, yeah, so he, he, just, knows range, he just left. Rangefinder season is is upon us, and he's left the building. <laughs> so, um, so Robbie J, we can talk about this here because, like I said, his wife will never hear it because she's not going to listen to this. And I, I don't, I don't think I'm going to say anything out of order here that Robbie probably would have a problem with me saying. But let's just say, apropos of 
I, I, I was going to say when Simon was talking about how auctions, like in-person auctions, people are like rolling the dice more. I think that is a direct, um, directly attributed to attributable to the COVID era we're living in because we are living in a world of people rolling the dice right now. I mean, certainly with uh, cryptocurrency and everything, people have been rolling the dice like mad for the past year now. Um, and Robbie has been rolling the dice longer than that, let's say, on a certain cryptocurrency. Um, so all the stuff that Robbie is currently into, he is doing with 100% you money. It's all profit. He's not. He's he's out of pocket about, you know, enough to buy a McDonald's Happy Meal on this stuff. So m- more power to Robbie J for his long term. Uh, wise financial purchases here that he's made. Um, so, so yeah, he's literally got, he's got very little in on all of this deal, which is really cool. I mean, good for him, I say. Um, but yeah, so, 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 so Robbie J, I, I mean, it's, I think it's no secret to talk about, you know, his two new things. One of which is a, let's, shall we say almost air quotes, brand new, like a MP, black, black paint, very nice, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, if that alone was not enough, and he he went and had the in store experience and bought it in person rather than ordering it and having to worry about it show up in the mail, he went and did did it the right way, which is went to the Leica dealer, bought the camera, had the dealer experience, right? I say good for him. Um, so he went and did all that. So not only did he score that, but now hanging on the front of that camera, Perry, you should describe in more detail here exactly what he, he did because you have this firsthand experience as well. Well, and I think it's my fault. Um, yes, exactly. It's your, it's your fault. So, Cause so I'm going to take credit for that, for gassing him to go buy the MP in person. And you need to take credit for gassing him to do what he did with the lens. Yeah, so so when I got my Black Paint MP in October, he was swearing at me for about five months. Um, <laughs> and I, I swear, every three days, he would just message me and say, should I get this Black Paint M4? Should I get this Black Paint M2? Um, and then something, I, I think something clicked in him, and then he started asking, should I just get an MP? Uh, and <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think you should just get an MP. Um, so after he got the MP, you know, when I got the MP, it stopped my gas for half a year. I was like, I don't need to buy anything else. This is my holy grail camera. Like, I, I literally don't need anything else ever again uh, until this Biogon came along. But no, no, Robbie just kept going. Uh, then he started messaging me and saying, hey, 35 F2 lens. Uh, should, I get a, should I get a version 4 Sumicron or a UC Hexanon? And I spent ages, you know, talking about the the merits of both because I have both those lenses and they're phenomenal. And and then he goes off and picks up um, another lens, uh, which I also have, which is a custom converted lens that you can now buy brand new. And I think the distributor for this lens is the same distributor or company that makes those weird fun leader lens cap lenses. Mm. Um, but the 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 lens itself is made by this, um, well, there's an inscription on the back that says Mr. Ding. 
And I think that's the name of the artisan who converts them. And I actually think he's in Hong Kong. Yeah. He might be in Taiwan. But I think he's in Hong Kong. So what it is, is it's a Contax G uh, 35mm F2 planar um, converted to Leica M mount in a choice of three finishes. Uh, there is a gold finish, there is a silver chrome finish, uh, and there is a black paint finish. And of course, to match the black paint MP, uh, you have no choice but to purchase the uh, black paint conversion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and this this company, they sell both the shell, if you already have the lens and you want to modify it DIY, uh, or they sell it just together with the lens pre-modified. And I will say, I have a lot of lenses that have been converted to like an M mount. This is by far the best conversion I have ever seen by a country mile. Um, Johnny, I don't know if you've seen this lens in person now that Robbie has it. I, yeah. I have not seen it yet in person, no. When you see it in person and you feel it. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, I was gonna I was gonna say I've yet to see the camera lens combo in person. So when I mean it, it's quite heavy compared to like the Sumicron and the Hexanon. He says he likes that. Um, but w- when you see this conversion, it is miles above any other conversion I've seen because it looks and feels like a native lens. Um, the closest lens out there to it is the black paint uh, Sumicron spherical 35 millimeter f2. Uh, it, it is very similar in like general vibe to that lens. Yeah. yeah. When he, I, I was going to say, when he first sent me photos, I was looking at them on my phone and I don't have one of those gigantic phones. I just have a regular size phone, but I looked at, I was looking at the photo of the lens. I'm like, what, what lens is that? Is that, is that a Zeiss? Is that just a, like a, a Zeiss ZM? <laughs> Cause it looked, it, it looks like it came out of a legit factory. Yeah. 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 It's a phenomenal conversion. The shell is custom made. Um, and then they just transplant the optics. And, you know, the, the damping of the focus is incredibly smooth. Uh, the aperture clicks are nice. The only thing that feels a little bit, um, a, a little bit plasticky is about it is the focus tab. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's not unusual at all. And if you didn't know that they didn't make a native 35 planar, um, for like M mount, you wouldn't know that this was a conversion. You would think it's a native lens. It's that good, yeah. and and you know in my co- in my collection it sits among the native thirty five millimeter lenses. So, I mean, on the one hand, you know some people think it's ridiculous to pay you know that much extra, like a double for a lens that you could get on Contact G mount for like you know the price that they go for. But compared to the price of a Sumicron or a UC Hexanon, it's like half the price, if not a third now. Because those have appreciated quite a lot, and so I mean, in my opinion, bang for your buck, if you want to like an M thirty five millimeter f two, this is unbelievable. And you know, it it they say it's the weakest of the contacts G lenses. It's a little weak around the edges, but it renders gorgeously. Uh, he has every other contacts G lens, and so it sort of rounds out the collection in a strange, perverse way. Um, but when you put it on the MP, the two look like they are just made to go with each other. Yeah, hundred percent. Know? And it brasses over time as the paint wears, you get the same like brass patina underneath. Right. So it's going to basically wear with the camera, mm-hmm. right? They're both essentially quote unquote brand new. And yep. it'll, wear, it'll wear perfectly with the camera. So he should like leave that lens on that camera and never take it off. Yep. Yep. And it's got a 46 millimeter filter thread. Yeah. Um, I, I absolutely adore this thing. You know, I, I don't want to shoot a contacts G1 or G2 ever. 
Um, even and, but this lens, it's it's amazing. Yeah, you got to go out there and feel it sometime. Like just feel it in your hand and and just tell yourself this is a conversion. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, while you're playing with it, and it's oh man. So I, he posted a picture of the combo in our Facebook group, and um, someone commented going like, "What is this? I've never heard of this. Can you you can buy this new?" So I, I posted a link in there to it, uh, and I think the fact that they're selling it wholesale now, because um, before I think it was only a custom build. I, I'd seen it pop up a few times locally in Hong Kong, and then when one of them popped up for sale, like I jumped on it in five minutes after it was posted. But now, now I think you can buy them pretty much new, quote unquote. Uh, which I don't know how long they're going to keep making them. But if you're interested in a 35 f2 um, that's fairly modern and new, this is definitely one you should look out for because it, it's it's something special. You know, yeah, it yeah, is something yeah. special. Even though it is just a contact sheet planar, but that lens becomes three times better when you put on like an M, the, like there automatically. You, there, there you go. Exactly. It's, stop shaking your head, Simon. It becomes three times better. The, the range finding it does. The range yeah. finder coupling is perfect, um, and you get to look through a real viewfinder and manual focus the thing properly. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's glorious. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yep, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to fondling it. So yeah, it's gonna yeah. be awesome. So that's what's up with the Robbie J portion of gas in Chicago. Um, which I will say somewhat led into the Johnny portion of gas in Chicago, because I, I, once, once I knew Robbie was like at the tipping point, which it was, it's really obvious when Robbie's at the tipping point. Mm. Um, <laughs> so once I knew he was at the tipping point on this MP, I'm like, dude, don't be a dick and buy it from Tokyo or something. Just go see, go talk to Dan and see what he's got. And by Dan, I'm talking about Dan Tamarkin. And I'm like, just go talk to him and see what he's got because you don't know what he has. He's a dealer. Dealers can do amazing things. He's a top dealer, so he can do extra amazing things. He's got pull with Leica. So if there's anything out there, he'll find it for you. So he 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 did this thing, and he went to see Dan Tamarkin. And Dan, of course, being Dan, hooked him the hell up, right? And and got him into his his MP in a beautiful way. So I was like, you know, that is just, I'm so happy for Robbie. Now I have done not nearly as well as Robbie with my cryptocurrency roulette stuff this year, past year, but I've done okay. And I did okay enough that when I got my Biden bucks, I figured, all right, I, you know, it's time for me to get the camera I've really been wanting to get. I don't have a lot left on my list, but the camera I did have left on my list was a Leica 3. Uh, so a Leica 3 Barnax groom out camera because I've, I've come to the conclusion that the, the perfect camera style for me is essentially the Barnax style camera. I don't, I, I've got an M3 and I don't like the viewfinder on it. <laughs> So I still end up using an external viewfinder. So the perfect camera for me is a is a, a Barnack style Leica because I just need the focusing capability, and then I I can use the external viewfinder for framing. And I I love that. To me, it's flawless and simple and effortless to do it that way. So I I've wanted to get I've wanted to have a Leica three ever since going way back that moment when Carl snagged 
a like a three out from under me, um, as we've famously talked about here on the podcast many times. Uh, and that's covered. I can't remember which episode number that is, but you can listen to the exact conversation t- telling the whole story. But anyway, Carl had that magical like a three with the initials engraved into it. And, you know, it was like his basically his favorite camera and he really felt it was magical. Um, I, I felt the same way about that camera, having handled it every day for about a year before it ended up in Carl's hands. And I had I had always wanted um, a Leica three and never had one. Right. So on top of that, <laughs> um, one of my last, let's call it experiences with the general public pre COVID, uh, was actually when, uh, Mike Novak was in town and he had with him a black, like a two, um, and seeing that black Leica 2 in person added to my desire to have a black Leica 2 or 3. Um, and on top of that, the same night uh, that Mike Novak pulled his out, um, uh, we had a, another visitor at, at the pub that night who also brought a black Leica 3. And I was like, damn it. All right, this is, this is just driving me nuts. So anyway, I, all, the, all this is to say I've wanted a Leica 3 for a long time. And I needed a black Leica if I was going to get a Leica 3. So I figured, <laughs> okay. So, so I figured, okay, I'm going to follow the same advice I gave to Robbie. Because I was looking at him online and I, I, I didn't want to buy it online. So I, I, I decided I would follow the same advice I had given Robbie, and I, I hit up um, Dan Tamarkin and said, you know, hey, Dan, do you have a, you know, do you have a Leica 2? He's like, no, I don't have one right now because he, he had one on his website. So I, so I asked him about it. He's like, no, it's sold. And I didn't think to ask him if he had a Leica 3. So a couple days later, I'm like, oh, hey, Dan, <laughs> how about a Leica 3? He's like, oh, yeah, I got Leica 3. No problem. So – uh, he sent me pictures of a particular like a three that he had. Um, and I started spazzing out a little bit because I realized that this like a three that he sent me pictures of was actually a three a. And I knew that because it had a one, 1000 uh, shutter speed on the dial, which makes it a three a. So I was freaking out a little bit because like as there goes, Simon, he's gone. Simon just left the building. Um, <laughs> So, so I was freaking out because I'm like, oh man, a three A black is a really rare camera. They didn't do that. They didn't build that many of them. Right. Um, and most of them that exist are conversions. So that was even more exciting to me because I really like like a conversions. So in other words, cameras that started out as another model mm-hmm. and like upgraded them at the factory for the user, mm. which was the whole ethos of Leica in that era is you would buy this camera and it would basically, you'd keep upgrading it for life. Right. So it was a lifetime investment. And that's why these cameras tend to have lived through multiple lifetimes because the people who have them now are typically the second or third or more owner of that camera. Uh, because these cameras were made in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. So, and this is true of the camera that Dan sent me uh, pictures of. It, it, it dates from 1932 originally, which makes it a Leica 2 that was converted to 3A. Was it the 3F or the C where they actually made more black ones than chrome? That is actually the Leica two i think let me just double check there, there, there was one particular model where i think the black ones were common 
Yeah, I mean they're still hard. They're still hard to find today, but they're, they're, they were common the, relative the, to the run. That that is a Leica two. They made um, they made about thirty seven thousand Leica twos in black, and they only made about fifteen and a half thousand in chrome. So the Leica two, you're much more likely to encounter in black, mm-hmm. uh, which is essentially what this camera is. It's a nineteen thirty two Leica two that was converted to three A probably sometime in the late 1930s. So um, so immediately I was like, all right, this is the camera for me. I know this is the camera for me. I'm going to go see this thing. So I go over to see Dan, and he, he has not one, not two, but three Leica 3s. Now, it was, this was the only 3A, but he had um, two more Leica 3s that I looked at as well. And they were all really nice. Um, uh, this one that I picked up, from Dan actually had been CLA'd and it has a new uh, first curtain and um, and it, it runs nice. I have to say that the shutter break is a little bit uh, harsh on it, so I think mm. it needs a bit of tuning. But it's still nice. It's still nice. I think it just needs it just pr- probably needs a, a touch more uh, work to tune it up to make it really really smooth, which I'll probably do at some point. Um, so anyway, I, I look at it. Um, and I, I was totally smitten with it and it was definitely going to happen. And the fact that, uh, it, it had, uh, a story behind it made it even more special. And I can tell that story if you guys want to hear it. Yeah. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for Simon to just walk away again. But he Yeah, we, we are, we are firmly into range finder corner. Um, yes, and, we are. Uh, but you, but you came back. To your yeah, I've, you, I've, you, I've, you I've been away. Back. I've been away a couple of times and I, I, I've, I also, um, have been online to check the value of this, uh, the Sapphire lens, um, and found out it's actually worth a few quid, um, oh, no, yeah. which, which, oh, yeah. which is great. And in the meantime, I was, uh, I've, while, while you've been talking fascinatingly about range, finders i've um <laughs> I, I i spotted some fungus in it and i just un- un- unscrewed the rear element and uh cleaned the fungus off with my t-shirt oh very nice again. so, uh, so now good. you can list it on ebay as, as cla well i because <laughs> your t-shirt cleaned the fungus yeah that's, that's that's very true that's very true i might i might actually go back with some isopropanol as well um uh, but um but yeah from uh from the uh, the the preliminary preliminary clean has gone has gone very very well. <laughs> Please continue. Very nice. very nice. All right, uh, I shall now continue with part two of the three part story of my life of gas. Um, so part two, I I need to pull up. Just give me one second here because I need to find the. Uh, do do do. Here we go. So the 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 thing that pushed me over the edge about this camera. Oh, I thought I had the right folder. I'm gonna find it in a second here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, where is it? So the thing that pushed me over the 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 top about uh, this like a three A is the provenance of the camera itself which is really pretty amazing and if i can find my research hold on one second all right here we go okay so so dan sent me along with photos of the camera he sent me a very interesting uh bit of provenance and he said that the the document that he sent me a copy of was awarded to um 
a gentleman, uh, a pilot, and he was an Italian pilot who who flew with the Allies during the Second World War. So, so I took that little bit of information and I was able to actually find out the backstory about the person who owned this camera. I'm assuming before I did, uh, because best I can tell, Dan said he bought this camera in Berlin in an auction and it came with the document. So I'm going to guess that he probably got that the camera probably came from this person's estate. And I'm therefore probably the second owner of the camera. Um, I think it's a safe and reasonable, uh, guess. Um, so anyway, the, the, the camera belonged to this pilot, uh, Italian pilot. And, and what I found out was that he was, uh, shot down on, um, in the, in the Adriatic, he was shot down on a mission that he was flying, uh, into Yugoslavia. Uh, and he was shot down the 19th of March, 1944. So let me note that this camera came into my hands on the 19th of March, 2021. So I'm like, all right, this stuff, this stuff, again, we're talking magical, like a three, which is the same, the same thing that Carl felt about his camera. So to me, it's all coming together. Right. Uh, so anyway, the really, really great backstory about this pilot who flew with the, um, the, what do they call it? The Italian co-belligerent air force, uh, which was meant to distinguish it from the, I guess the Italian belligerent air force, which would have been fighting on the other side of the allies. These were the Italians that decided to come on over and fight with the allies, uh, partway through the war. So a really cool backstory there. Um, and, and the thing about the three a and the three that I, I find really special as opposed to later models are the cameras are just a little bit smaller than, all of the models that basically came after the three a, I believe the B was a hair smaller. And then the models after that were not significantly larger. I'm sorry, larger. The, the B was a, a hair larger. And then the, the models after that were larger enough that they definitely feel different in the hand. And they even look a little bit different. Um, we're talking millimeters, but it's noticeable. Um, so anyway, the, the camera in the hand has, are a really special feel to it just because they're so small. They're, they're just a hair smaller than, you know, the, the more modern Barnax. And to me, they're, um, they have a special feel for that reason. The other thing I like about them that we've, I, I mentioned was it has a different viewfinder and rangefinder um, sort of system, not system, but arrangement, uh, the, mm -hmm. the functional, functionally wise, it has two, the viewfinder and rangefinder windows are set further apart by about say, uh, that's a half an inch, which, what is that in mill in centimeters? That's like three centimeters, something like that. Right. No, um, half, an, half an inch is like one centimeter. No, is it really? Yeah. Isn't, isn't it four centimeters to the inch? Four and a half? No. What is it? It's about two no. centimeters to an inch. 2.5. No, two, bullshit. Two point, That's two, not true. 2.54. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. So three, it's almost three. <laughs> but, <laughs> Very shaking. But you said half an inch. Yeah, it's about half an inch. Yeah, so that that's like one point something centimeters. Yeah, that's what I said. You said four centimeters. I said two centimeters. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I, so I know what you're talking about. Like they're not squished yeah. together. There's a space between. Right, them. right, right. So some people apparently really like the arrangement of the viewfinder and rangefinder set right next to each other, and they're smaller too. Which I know the other thing I've never understood is the peepholes on the later cameras are smaller than they are on the three. Um, so I think maybe their thinking was, well, we'll put it right next to each other. So since they're closer to each other, we can make the peephole smaller, <clears throat> right? I, I'm just guessing this was the like a theory behind it. For me, I, I, I've never, I had never gotten used to them. Every time I pull up like um, any Leica after the Model 3, I mean, even the ones that people like, what are they like, the three... Uh, the 3G or whatever, the ones that are there sort of people think are the holy grail because they, they have the bigger, the bigger range finder and all that. I can't stand them because I can't find the, I can't find, I bring it up to my eye and it never falls like up to my eye. I'm always like moving the camera around trying to find the viewfinder range finder up to my pupil. So to me, when I bring a, a three up to my eye, it's just, it's automatic, right? Um, so anyway, I, Suffice to say, what, what what I'm going on about here is I find this to be, for a number of reasons, the the perfect uh, like a Barnack uh, style camera, um, and to have finally found one, and to have found one with a bunch of provenance, it it got me to that place where I was thinking about all those conversations with Carl about the magic of these cameras, and I was just super thrilled. Um, so that's that's part two of the story. Part three of the story is is after Dan had showed me not not one, not two, but three like a threes. Uh, <clears throat> one of which, one of the three was pretty rough and probably needed a CLA. But the other one was actually really clean, didn't feel like it needed a CLA at all. Um, the curtains look perfect. Shutter speeds look perfect. Everything is really smooth. So it was, it was kind of in my head. I'm like, well, damn, now that I got one of these, I might as well get two of them because I always try to buy everything in twos anyway. <laughs> um, so then I'm thinking, well, I don't really have the money for this, but I do have something I think I can trade to Dan. And I'm not going to go into all the gory details on this here. Uh, all I'm going to say is that I, I, I walked in with something to trade to Dan and I walked out with another camera and no money changed hands. So that worked for me just fine. Um, so I basically w now have two like a threes. I, I have one is a three a conversion. One is an original, uh, like a three, you know, non converted new from the factory 1936. That is the cleaner and smoother of the two. Um, what else can I say about it? So the, the second camera, uh, you know, it has less wear on it. Uh, the, 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 the fittings I think are chrome instead of nickel because they're a little bit brighter. Uh, so it has a slightly different look than the 3A, um, which started as a, a 2. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's a beautiful camera overall. And... So the way I have them set up right now, and I, I suppose I can put a picture of this in the show notes or something, is I have um, one of them, I have the 3A set up as a 35 millimeter uh, shooter. So it has the Voigtlander 35 metal black finder on the camera, um, nice, small, and compact. And then on the, uh, on the 3, 
I have the Voigtlander Black 2125 viewfinder, mm-hmm. and I have a black uh, snapshot Scopar on the camera. But I can also put on the uh, Rusar, and it looks perfect on mm-hmm. this camera. And the finder, you know, is already set up for that as well. So it's sort of an interchangeable between the two. Uh, I've decided that the way to go with these cameras, right, is there's no such thing as an interchangeable lens. It's an interchangeable body. So the the body, I switch the body to the lens rather than switch the lens to the body. Does that make sense? <laughs> Terry's like, what the f*** are you talking about? He's looking around in space to see where in orbit I am. What's the difference? <laughs> well, the difference, Perry, is huge. <clears throat> the difference is all, it's, it's you know, it's purely conceptual. <laughs> it's okay. a huge conceptual difference. So, so you're switching the body to the lens instead of the lens to the body. Yeah, exactly. Does that mean when you are, does that mean you're holding the lens and screwing the body <laughs> exactly. off of the lens and then and screwing it, a new body and you, on? And if you do it in Australia, you have to screw it the other direction. <laughs> Simon is sitting there and going like... I think he's, you, you're fundamentally absolutely correct, Johnny. I, 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 yeah, this is, I feel like I've, I've seen the light because, you know, we as lens fanatics, really, they, it's, it's all about the lens. Well, it's not about the body, it's the lens. The lens makes the difference. Yes, that's what I'm saying is I bought the body to adapt to the lens. I didn't buy another camera body to put lenses on. I bought another body to attach to lenses. Right, so this camera body is now dedicated to twenty-one slash twenty-five millimeter. <laughs> so, so in other words, you get a you, for each lens that you own, you get a dedicated camera body for it. Is what I'm saying. I, I think so that that it, I, it falls. It falls. I mean, I, where I was going there, it does actually fall down a little bit because you get different different bodies can potentially give you a different result, especially if you're moving between digital and uh, and, and and film. Oh, we don't care about digital. That's different. Yeah, but mm, no, yeah. no. I but I, I think I see where Simon is coming from here, which is you know when when you go out, are you like okay, I'm going to shoot this lens. Let me find the right body to shoot this lens on. And I'm like, no, just pull it off the shelf because you've already got the combo is pre-built. Mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that you have a combo of camera and lens for each lens that you own. Yes. I'm, I'm yes. saying well, it, this is a great yeah. way to collect cameras as well as lenses, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, justifies, it's more justification. It's camera gas. Yeah. It just no, it, it makes yeah. sense. See? Both both make sense. Actually, both totally make sense. I've I've got I've got to say I hope I hope the guys that make uh, I Dream of Cameras uh, are listening to this at this moment. That's uh, uh, Jeff Jeff Greenstein and Gabe Sachs because um, they they actually this is effectively my shout out uh, an early shout out um, because they they are making me feel quite good about collecting lenses and, and cameras. Um, so yeah. you can listen to them, and they do it without guilt, and um, and it and it and it, and, it, and it's great. And, and I think listening to what you're just your justification there is going to release uh, both of those guys to go out and get more cameras because I, I you've ho- totally justified so. it there. Yeah, yeah. And this is my whole point of why I needed a second black Leica three, 
was I didn't want to have to take the viewfinder off this camera and swap the viewfinder and the lens when I wanted to train change lenses. The, the, when I so when I put these Voigtlander finders on, me being the idiot that I am, I'm always worried that it's going to get knocked off. So it's going to mm. it's going to come loose. I'm going to break it. So what I do is I put a little piece of electrical tape on the bottom of the slide it on the camera and that sucker i mean it's on there you have to like force it into the into the shoe yeah yeah, yeah so I do when thing. i put a yeah so when i've got a 35 finder on this like a 3a i don't want to be like trying to jimmy the finder off to switch mm-hmm. lenses so it's a de- it's now a dedicated 35 millimeter camera 35 you know dedicated to shooting 35 millimeter lenses the lens that i have on there by the way i've decided the perfect lens to go on there is obviously my 3.5 cm Elmar. I mean, it just makes sense. Tiny lens, tiny camera. They're both from almost the same year. I think my lens was built in 37. My camera was built in 32. It just, it all makes sense, right? Um, the thing that I've discovered, I'm going to just uh, to, to, to say one other thing about the 35 millimeter dedicated like a 3A is I've realized because the camera itself is so small lengthwise that the other lens that works perfectly on this camera, which I hadn't thought would work perfectly on this camera, but it does, is the Voigtlander Color Scope R oh, yeah. Pancake. Yeah, yeah. But the Pancake, mm-hmm. which is a lens I've struggled with because it's actually so small, it's hard to use on a larger camera because you can't get your hands on the stupid focus ring and it doesn't have a tab. If it had a tab, all problems would be solved, but it doesn't. So I've struggled with the right camera to use this on because it's always a pain in the ass. Every time you reach for the focus ring on this lens, because it's so small, you end up on the, on the, the very, also very small aperture ring because it's just so small and it's so close to the body. But with the 3A, because the way your hand sits on this camera, because it's so small, it goes right to the focus ring. So yeah. I found. So basically, I have two lenses that work really, really well on this 3A 35 millimeter lenses. So if I want a slightly faster lens, I can throw the Voigtlander Pancake Color Scope R on there. Um, so I'm happy. I got two lens options for that one, and then on the 21 on the wide angle dedicated three. With the 2125 finder, I've got the snapshot scopar. I can also put the 20 millimeter uh, scopar on there. Uh, I'm sorry, the 21 millimeter scopar, or I can put on the Rusar, um, mm-hmm. all without changing the finder. So I have like three lens options for the Leica 3 dedicated wide angle camera. So what you say there makes a lot of sense actually like three three points i think three maybe four points on on all of that stuff um number one the 3.5 elmar uh i i got a hood for that finally, oh cool by the way um, yeah because i went and shot that on my sony and good lord that thing can flare um <laughs> and so i was using my hand as a hood and the difference was night and day so i just, I just got a hood for it and nice and then i was like oh man I, I need a cap for the hood but then it's i realized it's 39 millimeters the front of the hood so I can use a normal 39 millimeter cap and then the little tiny yellow filter fits on perfectly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's going on my three F uh, nice. and, and I'm going to shoot that. Um, the second thing is the snapshot scope are, I don't understand why people like that lens. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. The 25 millimeter snapshot. I, I think, and I'm not speaking of anyone here in this group, 
I think because they they thought for some reason they would shoot it on digital. I think that's where the problem comes from. Because no, I, it, I, it's not rangefinder couple shooting this, huh? It's not rangefinder couple. That's that's what's late. Like unless you get it in no, Nikon S mount, then it's, it doesn't it's, need to be a rangefinder couple though. It's so there's so much depth of field. Why would you need to have a rangefinder couple? I mean, doesn't it focus down to like half a meter? Actually, 0.7, Yeah. Yeah. So so if you're shooting at f four at that, I'm not gonna. But what is gonna shoot f four at 0.7 meter? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you can do it. You can also hit yourself over the head with a hammer. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> is my, I mean. Well, I mean, that, that lens, it, it makes more sense to me in Nikon S-mount um, because of the, the rangefinder coupling. That's, that's, that's the second thing. Which I have it in S-mount and I've never used the rangefinder coupling. I've only used it as a scale. Fo- I've just, it's a, I mean, I just, to me, it's a scale focused only lens and that's why it's yeah. got three click stops and it just it's it's a perfect walk around film camera street shooting lens because you really only need three focus points for zone focusing on the street and it's yeah. got all of them pre preset which is to me is brilliant you know yeah, I, I mean i i guess i just don't know what the point of that lens is when like the 25 3.5 canon exists um which is rangefinder coupled and smaller and cooler. Because it's, it's newer and it's a hell of a lot cheaper, too. It isn't, it's not that much cheaper. It's, well, maybe it's it is way cheaper. cheaper. It's, okay. it's, it's like cheaper. almost half. You can, yeah. This is one of the cheapest Voigtlander rangefinder lenses you can buy, actually. Well, because so, it's not rangefinder coupled. And so yeah, that kind just, of yeah, because you don't need it to be rangefinder coupled. Yeah, it also, <laughs> also feels like it's come out of a Christmas cracker as well, so it should be cheap. Right. Ah, it's nice and light. This is the other thing that makes it perfect on the three, because the three is a lightweight camera. It's a very—I mean, it's not a heavy camera at all. Yeah, but it looks modern, uh, yeah. though. It, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a it modern. Wor- I'm no, telling you, no. I'll send it. It works. It actually. I'm sure, it does. Is, but it's it's a it, it's a modern looking. Yeah, you know, not talk about the rendering yeah. now. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's a modern looking lens going on a very old camera. It looks a bit silly. It's it's modern looking, but it's not like a spherical modern looking. You know what I mean? It's 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 not it's not like that antiseptically spherical look, which I don't like at all. Um, which is why I really don't have a lot of interest in M mount cameras because I don't. I mean, to me, the lenses that I want to use on them are all LTMs anyway. I don't mm. have a lot of interest in the spherical lenses. Just period. Because I don't like the rendering. I mean, you might as well just shoot them on digital and be done with it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and the third point about multiple cameras, it makes a lot of sense because I'm holding my Nikon S2 right now, which is my favorite way to shoot uh, contacts RF lenses. And most of the time when I go out, I carry the 35 Biogon, the 21 Biogon with two viewfinders and then a 50, and then a 50 millimeter collapsible sonar. Um, and I feel like an idiot because the lens caps are not interchangeable. Like the wide angle lens caps do not work on the, right. the 50 millimeter. And I got two viewfinders that I'm dicking around with. And right. I think, I think the thing I need to do is buy two more Nikon S2s. Yeah, brother. <laughs> of course you do. And then when because, you go out, you have two cameras, you've got a wider, you've got a wide and you've got a normal, right? Yeah. I, that actually makes sense. Totally that, makes that, sense. that actually totally, totally makes sense. So, so I have for years, even when I was like shooting SLR stuff in my, you know, I was 20 years old, whatever. The the first camera I bought with my own money was a secondhand 
uh, Minolta X370 because I wanted a second camera. I was I had a X700 and I wanted to have you know the 50 millimeter lens on one camera and I wanted either a 28 or like a 135 on the other camera. So I started doing that like literally decades ago, which is scary. But I've always done that. I've always carried two cameras when I had when I was shooting Roloflexes, I'd carry one with color film and one with black and white. I've just always carried two cameras, right, for the flexibility. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like. All right, if I'm going to get one like a three, I might as well get a second one because I'm going to carry around. If I'm going to shoot a like a three, I want to shoot two cameras that are exactly the same, so I don't have to think when I switch between cameras. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm just basically I'm just switching focal length. Yeah. So it's like it takes the th- the more you can take thinking out of your photography, I think, is like a good thing when you're in the act of sh- shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, you know, that is a camera that absolutely. Uh, lends itself well to carrying two of because like i've had my nika in my bag for the last couple of months and it, it's barely noticeable that it's even there it's so small yeah you know? yeah right yeah yeah, yeah. right, right. Well, yeah a cu- couple of observations from that is i was i've been nodding my head and i've been looking about around my room and seeing so many poor orphan lenses um that need cameras <laughs> Uh, they all need cameras yeah they they, i need so many cameras now um and and then another thought kicked in um and that's uh i'm a i'm a lens cap manufacturer and if everybody goes around buying cameras for their for their lenses then they won't need lens caps so um i i (laughs) don't think that's such a good idea after all so uh so no don't you don't need multiple cameras just buy lens caps and no but you but you need a body cap and you need a front and back cap simon Right? Uh, well, well, you can't buy a camera without a body cap. That's just that's I mean, madness. You gotta have a body cap. Yeah, yeah. No, there is, there is, there is that. Um, I'm not really into M- M39 body caps, so, so, so I'm not really, uh, I'm not really pushing that one. Um, <laughs> but no, um, no. If you if you got if you got a, a lens a lens and a camera each time, then you just need a front cap. That's all you need. Because you don't need a body cap, and you don't need a, a real yeah, lens cap, do you? I mean, that, that's true. Mm. Yeah, but then when you have to send the body in for CLA, you need a rear lens cap, and then when you send the lens in for CLA, you need a body cap. This is this is this is true. <clears throat> this is true. Plus, I'm making front lens caps now as well. Yeah. So, like, yeah. like we all have right a box or a bag or something that is just full of cap, body caps. Yeah. Right. I have a whole I have a whole storage bin full of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have an entire section in one of my cabinets that's just body caps and like yeah. lens, and lens caps. And half of them, I don't know what they're for, but it's like it's like it's like it it's like a insurance policy or a condom. Yeah, and you, you always have, have extra have it when you need it. Mm-hmm. And you always have extra, right? Because sometimes you just randomly get a camera, and you're like, okay, I know I have a spare, right. you know, body cap for this mount somewhere. I'll find it, right? And then you can store yeah. the camera. Or, right? I mean, you might go on a you might go on a bender and need three condoms. I mean, you know, yeah. There is always um, on a. Uh, on a sort of related note, you know, you were talking about how your Scopar doesn't have the lovely focus stick or a focus tab. Yes. Um, I, I think we have been requested uh, by, I think, Theo Biddle for, or Theo Pengopoulos, one of the Theos, um, to to diss the Ultron. Uh, oh, on we had because this conversation, didn't we? We had this conversation behind the scenes, right? That Voigtlander yeah. has re-released the 35 <laughs> millimeter F2 Ultron. Um, right. In a body that is essentially the same as its 35 1.4 Nocton. Yeah. Uh, which I hate. Yeah. Um, and the 
the the first version, which is a more vintage looking body, because I think the optics are the same. Same but optics. The, the, the first version has a more vintage looking, um, you know, housing for the lens, and then it has the focus stick. Yes. Right. Yes. And for some reason, they changed it. And here's the problem with like modern, the the newer version, which mirrors the you know the the thirty five one point four Nocton, the uh, the focus tab of like the twenty eight f two Ultron. Those focus tabs are way too damn small. Yeah. Um, and they're the, they're the the moon crescent shape, which you don't like. I like them when they're the right size, but these are way mm-hmm. too small. And the problem is when, when they're together with the aperture wings that Voigtlander uses, yeah. I always accidentally change the aperture when I'm Same focusing. Because Every it's single small. time. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it's super annoying. Like, you would think that they would notice this in testing. Right, right. right. Whereas the first version with the stick, the stick gets your finger far enough away from the aperture wings that you're never gonna you're yeah. never gonna accidentally change the aperture. So I don't know why they would do that. Um, I, I think it's this is the worst possible reason why is I think to make them look more like Leica lenses. That's the yeah. worst possible f- design answer ever is to make it more like your competitor, right? I mean that's just. Mm-hmm. It's just horrible, and they don't even feel as good as like the Leica focus tabs with the the, the yeah. crescent. At least they are; they feel really nice. Like they're well, they're yeah. the right size, you know. Especially on right. the thirty-five Summicrons, um, all of them are wonderful. Um, I, you know, I like the the eight element and the seven element best, but they all feel great. I don't like any of the Voigtlander ones. the 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 thirty-five one point four Summilux prehistorical. It's also got a nice tab. But the Voigtlander mm-hmm. ones are just dinky, you know? Either your finger is slipping out of them because they're too shallow, or you're hitting the aperture wings, or they're just not, right. you know, they, they're, like, kind of thick at the edges um, yeah. of the crescent. Yeah. And, and so it, you can't get a nice grip on them if you're not sticking your finger in the middle. And they're and just poorly designed. Totally. And th- what I end up doing is put, trying to find the edge of the focus tab yeah. to put my finger on as if it was a stick. Yeah, or just or just trying to grab the the lens and look for a focus ring. Yeah, right. We're trying to pinch the whole tab between your thumb and your. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just they're they're really they're really bad. Yeah, right. So so from design standpoint alone, we are dissing version two. Yes, optically they're lovely and and they're identical, yeah. but uh, and, and you know they're way cheaper than the Summicron. But I mean, get if they're optically the same, get version one. Version two is annoying. And I'm now hoping, I'm not saying I'm going to run out and do this, but I'm, I'm hoping that as this version two uh, rolls out, that, that some unwise people will be dumping their version one, thinking they need the version two, and I will be mm-hmm. looking for that version one used <laughs> to buy at a good price, because I would love to put it on a Bessa. I mean, well, I, yeah, it's nice. not? I mean, it would be a nice lens to have on a Bessa as an alternate to like the Canon... 35.2 it's i mean to to be fair rendering wise it's an extremely poppy 3d poppy mm-hmm. lens that 35 ultron yeah so i mean optically i think it has you know and i don't usually like the modern like i just said it i don't usually like that modernist spherical look but i i do think that that lens has a nice look to it so mm-hmm. i would not be opposed <laughs> To, to, to using that lens. So if I can find one cheap now that there's a second version out with the far inferior ergonomics could be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be into that lens too. If I didn't have so many great 35 F twos already, like it, yeah. it's, it's bang for your buck. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. I hope, I hope Theo, you've been satisfied and we have, uh, Pro- properly. Dis- dissed that lens enough. Yeah, it, was, it was Theo, Theo, 
Theo Biddulph, by the way, the the guy that you can't say his name. That that was the uh, that 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 was the person. Cool. So, uh, j- just I just want to just gush this one more one one more second, uh, one more time, real quick. Um, and this is not the cameras. This is Dan Tamarkin. I want to gush Dan Tamarkin here a little bit because um, both he he he, you know, he it's like me and Robbie sharing a mistress or something. Like I'm going in the front door, you know, and then I I'm coming out the front door, and Robbie's going in the back door. Robbie's like the back door man. So like literally, I'm not even kidding. When I when I went to get the Leica three, the second camera. I sent Robbie a picture of the outside of Tamarkin, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm back. He's like, dude, why didn't you tell me you were going? I'm heading over there after lunch because <laughs> he's going to drop off a lens to be CLA'd. So we were like double teaming Dan Tamarkin. So, so Robbie was doing sloppy seconds with Dan <laughs> the same day that I, that I got the like of three. Um, <laughs> so I just really want to gush about how uh, awesome Dan Tamarkin is. And I don't know. I mean, I just got to say, if you're – thinking about buying a Leica and you're looking around online, especially probably if you're in the U S just please give Dan a call. <laughs> Even if you're not in Chicago, give Dan a call because I mean, he's got stuff. You could buy this from a real person that will talk you through it. You will have no doubts whatsoever that what you're getting is in great shape. It's got a return privilege and it's got a warranty. You might get a return privilege on, you know, on eBay, you're not getting a warranty. Mm-hmm. So there are reasons to buy from a dealer. And also, I got to say, both of these cameras, um, the the price that I was quoted for both of these cameras was better than any price I could have gotten it on eBay. Better, I mean, by far. Yeah. So so not only did I get to see and touch and test the camera in person, I got a better price. I got to have a great conversation with somebody that loves the freaking cameras, right? Um, so, so Dan is just, if you're going to buy anything like a, you really need to do yourself a favor and talk to Dan before you pull the trigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and that's almost all I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> I, while I was, while I was uh, there with Dan the other day, I said, Hey Dan, by the way, do you happen to have a copy of the Hove like a pocketbook? Which I don't know if you guys know this book, but even for you, Simon, okay, this book is worth having because if you ever were to encounter, let's say at auction, something like a, and you wanted to make sure you knew all the details and if it was valuable, if it was special, whatever, this handbook is like the Bible for that. And it's way faster than trying to look it up online because you can actually just flip through the book. So I'm like, Dan, do you happen to have a copy of Hove's Like a Pocketbook? Um, because I had one and it burned up at Central Camera and I've been kind of jonesing to have another copy. And I was looking at them online and they're not that much. You can get it for 20 bucks. But I'm like, Dan, you haven't have a copy. I'd rather buy it from you. He's like, hold on, I do. I've got one. So he went out and grabbed a copy. He's like, here, just take it. And I'm like, oh my God, how nice is that? So he gave me a copy of the whole book. Um, on top of everything else, I walked out with a copy of the whole book. So uh, Dan Tamarkin, thank you so much. Um, you are the man and we're looking forward to having you back on the podcast, which we will definitely do. And thank you for helping me and thank you for helping Robbie and, you know, very, very pleased Chicago like a gas people right now because of Dan Tamarkin. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That sounds good. That's a, And that's, 
I think that's a good way to go into shout outs because um that was really a shout out as well. And I did that was really out. a shout out, yeah. yeah. That and, was really uh, a shout out. So uh Perry, have you got any shout outs this week? Uh I th- I think my shout out has to go to Robbie J. Um for, you know, his lengthy, lengthy uh interrogation <laughs> about the merits of different thirty five millimeter F two lenses. He he was even Really keen on knowing my girlfriend's opinion on the difference between the UC Hexanon and the Subicron, um, just to kind of compare notes, and then any up to uh, buying the contacts in the end. That, that was a very entertaining conversation, and I'm glad he has his black paint uh, lens to match the black paint camera because, as he found out really quickly after getting the MP, um, if you buy a black paint Leica, it is only a matter of time before you look for a black paint lens of some right. sort. Yes. Uh, to go with it so be warned uh, if that is a path uh down which you wish oh, plenty, to of, ju- plenty of black jupiter eights out there anyway so that's, that's fine black paint black paint simon <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. not not black soviet grease yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i've uh i've got a uh, well, it's, it's on behalf of the three of us i think really um uh, shout out uh, we need to give to uh, bernhard spelling um, who uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. may remember he won um, the Konica 40mm uh, 1.8 in a previous competition and um, so he he took a very serious look at importing uh, some Jepson's Malort uh, fine Chicago uh, liqueur um, <laughs> uh, to I assume he's in Germany um, but uh, and it turns out it's actually very expensive uh, to import it, or it's impossible because it, it might fall foul of chemical weapons um, regulations, maybe. Um, so right, uh, he, 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 yeah. he couldn't. Uh, he, well, he, he ultimately he decided to make a video of him drinking some um, almost certainly inferior uh, but better tasting drinks, um, and. So he couldn't actually go out and win uh, the Raynox uh, 135 millimeter f 2.8 wet on wet on <laughs> wet on wet on wet on bokeh uh, lens. Um, so he went. So he went out and bought. He bought one instead. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing seeing the the, the photographs um, of that. But um, so he, he did a he did a, an excellent video, which is in our uh, Facebook uh, group. And actually, if you're listening, Bernard, I think we should actually try and get that up onto our YouTube uh, feed. So uh, if you can get that across to us in one way or another, um, then we'll we'll put that up onto YouTube because that's uh, it's 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 a good watch. Um, so yeah, so thank you, and that also still means that you know somebody can compete with Mike Gutterman uh, to win a wet on wet Boca Raynox. It's nicely called that, of course. Um, <laughs> Raynox one three five millimeter f two point eight lens uh, by drink by filming yourself uh, enjoying. Um, a shot of uh, of Malort. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, thank you very much, Bernard, for that. Um, any other shout outs, either of you? I, I, I'm just going to shout out to Robbie J also for not being a wuss and <laughs> and ordering a freaking like a MP from Tokyo or something. Yeah, yeah. He bought American. Damn it! Way to go, Robbie J. Yeah, German American. That's the way. My local go. buy American, Robbie J. Yeah. Um, right. Let's just say thank you then to the people that have donated to us since last time. And I can't remember what that cutoff date was, so I may be 
saying some of these twice maybe maybe not but uh um but thanks to sirot setter think so uh who also says can't wait for the next one so thank you very much uh hong lee and mike epstein uh supporters along with gary florjak uh thank you and uh and then finally uh christopher j may here's a coffee toast to the beauty of sonar lens rendering sonar lens renderings cheers thank you very much um, christopher um so yeah so i think uh that's it so uh johnny no let's go to perry we do perry first don't we? i can't quite remember um so perry yeah, outside of this podcast um how can people view what you may be up to uh you can find me on instagram and Flickr at perry g okay and johnny uh you can visit me on my front porch um and as of wow as of tomorrow you can visit me on my front porch and i will have had my first dose of uh the covid vaccine yeah still be wearing masks but we can we can you know we can meet and be slightly safer. I guess it's not really safer till I get the second dose after like, you know, 30 days and it's, safer. Yeah. but you know, marginally safer. We're on the road to safer. Yeah, that's cool though. To by, by tomorrow, all three of us will have uh, had our first shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I had my first shot on Monday and then the government announced that they screwed up the first batch of, uh, oh, well, that the first batch of uh, BioNTech vaccines had faulty packaging and then they stopped all yeah, of those. Yeah. So it's like, ooh, thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, does, what does that? Is that some kind of euphemism there? Though, I mean, are, are they playing no. as in like you know, you actually had something else, but it had the right packaging or something? Well, well, I mean, the the conspiracy theory is that you know, no one wants to take the Chinese vaccine because the data is not actually fully released. Um, and no one trusts them. <laughs> and so the conspiracy theory is like, oh, they're, they're trying to get the numbers of take up for the Chinese vaccine higher. <laughs> but no, apparently the um, the distributor of that vaccine in Hong Kong, which is a Fosun, a Chinese company, rather than partnering with Pfizer, um, told them to stop the shots because there were like a handful of vials that had faulty packaging um, where the lids were like. So is it conspiracy or- theory that they put the other vaccine in the other packaging? Because you know what? That never happens with Chinese stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, hopefully not. I mean, it's, it says it's the Pfizer. It, it, felt, it felt like it. And my arm was I – I could barely move my arm for the first 24 hours. But, uh, yeah. So hopefully they get that sorted out. And then we'll all be vaccinated. And then we can – do the same thing we've been doing all year. Yeah, just we can just continue to socially distance across time zones. Uh, yeah, exactly. As, as usual. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, um, so if somebody wants to uh, write into the show, you know, I've, I've not even looked at the emails. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Anyway, we haven't got time for that now, so maybe maybe next time. So if somebody actually wants to write into the show, uh, what's the best way of doing that, Johnny? Uh, please send them to classic lenses podcast at gmail.com. Um, please visit the podcast website at classic lenses podcast.com. Um, where you can, you know, all the episodes are there. Um, what else do we say here? Oh, uh, best vintage lens on Instagram, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what else friends. do we have in theory? We have episodes going over to YouTube still in theory. Um, yeah. 
It may happen. In practice, Hmm. and in practice, we do have the episodes definitely all on Apple Podcasts now, I guess. They have all updated. That's it. You did that live last last time on the show, didn't you? Oh, that's right. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so go there and do that. Um, I don't know. Do we have any other, what other things do we usually say about where to? Uh, I think we don't remember. I think we've done. Um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So, um, I was going to say you've been listening to, um, no, that's how, that's how aid used to close the Sunday 16 podcast. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) our music, um, was, was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech. Uh, dot com uh, music's called Octo Blues, and um, so that's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's show, and we'll be back in I don't know a week, maybe two weeks, when whenever we feel like it, which is I think is now the uh, the official designation for the uh, how often we actually do the show. Um, so uh, we'll be back soon, and um, so goodbye. Oh no, no, no! That's how I say. That's how I end. I haven't done my bit, have I? Yeah, that, that's podcast. where I was right. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, 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 so I'm, I'm, Simon, you can do all of that again better um, <laughs> in, in, in one second. I, I do want to say it's oh, I'm so glad your stupid daylight savings has switched again. Um, oh, my God. Yes. Because, like, I, I, I swear at some point in the past, the time difference between Hong Kong and Chicago was 12 hours. And so when daylight saving switched last times, I was I was like, oh, we're going from thirteen to twelve. That makes it way easier. But they turned to fourteen hour time difference. It was four, it was yeah, it was like a two hour time difference, right? And it it wasn't like that before, right? It no, it wasn't. It totally screwed. Us. I don't know what, what was going on. Maybe we're just dumb and we we don't pay attention to things. But it was just like this is this no, is so much better now. That now this is 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 reasonable time wise. I don't have to wake up at five a.m. Johnny doesn't have to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is way better. I mean, we could. I think it will be will be much easier to be more regular on the podcast time just because of the stupid World War One era time change bullshit is you know over again. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll Whatever. I'll okay. I'll close down the show seamlessly again. Um, and I just realized that <laughs> because I was uh, I was actually ending it as if it's the uh, the large format photography podcast, uh, which it isn't. Um, but I can be heard on there, you know, round about once every two weeks with uh, Andrew Bartram and Eric Mathy. Um, and uh, what else? Actually, this week coming on the LFPP, uh, we've we've got Nico of uh, Nico's News, uh, YouTuber, uh, who's going to be on with us. But anyway, that's a that's a that's a spoiler there. Um, <clears throat> so myself, I'm on Flickr. No, no, I forget. I'm on Flickr, but I don't really care about Flickr anymore. Um, <laughs> Twitter, I'm um, I'm Simon Four. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, which is the name of my website. If you stick co.uk uh, on the end of that, where you can see my enormous range of lens caps and body caps and, and things like that and I've got a few more that I really need to be bringing out um, and that's it um, I've already said who our music's by so thank you again and if you can be like Carl perfect <laughs> that's Flynn right on cue perfect flawless timing. are you done now are you done now I know that was a sign off <laughs> oh there you go there you go 